You are listening to See Through Panel, the comic book discussion podcast. My name is Cole Harvey. I'm here with Fahed Rahman. Hello. And today we have a very special episode and a very special guest. We are here with uh, Francois Vigneault, creator of the book Titan that we just reviewed a couple months ago. Francois, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing really well. How are you guys? Oh, doing great. Uh, very excited to talk to you today. So I'm going to do a quick introduction. I'm sure you can tell me more, but uh, here's what I have. So Francois is a freelance cartoonist, illustrator, and designer, not necessarily in that order. He is the creator of the graphic novel Titan, published in French by Pow Pow and soon to be released by Oni Press. I believe the date for that is November 2nd, Francois? Uh, November 10th. Fahed, why don't you introduce the book a bit before we get into the... When manager Yao De Silva is sent to Homestead Station on the moon of Titan, he finds himself in the simmering tensions between genetically engineered Titan workers and the Terran management. Will the union representative Macintosh be an ally, an enemy, or something else? Armed only with his intellect and the aid of his powerful eye device, Yao must work uh, against the clock to discover what is going on before it tears the station apart and ignites a conflict that could change the face of the solar system. So that's um, Titan. Uh, I think both myself and, and Cole really enjoyed the book and kind of like our opening uh, question, Francois, is um, what is it like launching a book during kind of COVID-19 lockdown? I imagine it must be kind of a bit different to what you were um, expecting. Right. Well, it definitely affected it. Um, the book, uh, as you noted, it's coming out November 10th, and it originally was supposed to be coming out in... Um, actually, originally, originally before COVID, it was supposed to be coming out in spring. And then after the after COVID-19, it was supposed to be coming out in September. So everything's delayed. Um, and then that also means that I can't do, you know, like uh, store signings and comic book conventions and things like that. But at the same time, I feel really lucky. It hasn't affected me too much. So uh, I'm lucky in that the book's coming out. I feel really excited that it's coming out at this moment. But definitely uh, COVID uh, definitely put a, put a damper on, the, on some of the plans. Um, and in terms of the, the actual launch of the book, have you got any um, events planned? Is it going to be like a virtual book launch or... Kind of. I bet we I bet we will do some different things. We're we're talking with some different stores and things like that right now. Um it's still a little early. We're recording this a little bit before the book comes out. So I don't have all the, you know, we don't have everything lined up, but I know well I'll be doing some stuff because I I just like to I like to do it. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Um yeah. so for the book itself, I had a couple questions about your process. I th- I can I think I can tell it's worked digitally. Um, but I'm also wondering, do you work with like a full script? Do you script at all being a writer illustrator? How, what's your process like for that? Uh, sure. So um, just on the on the first question, digital, um, it is a digital book, although the first two or three chapters were drawn analog, like on on a, you know, ink on paper. And then I sort of switched my technique to being all digital after that. Um, because it just saves, saved me a lot of time. And, uh, I did a lot of edits and things like that in digital. So I prefer to work that way. And then as far as my working process, I don't really work from a script. The book is, was very improvisational. Um, I had the concept for the book 
I had uh, some different little scenes that I wanted and I knew basically where I wanted it to end. But I didn't have um, all the beats. I, in fact, there were like major elements of the characters' story arcs, like what you know, different things that happened that I had no idea were going to happen until I was actually working on it. So uh, I would often, you know, I would write down, you know, what I wanted the characters to say, or I would sort sort of thumbnail things out, kind of thumbnail out the pages, and be like, okay, well, what can happen in a chapter of sixteen pages? X, Y, Z can happen. Um, but I, I very rarely had a script, the you know, where I would say, you know, Phoebe says this, Joao says this, and then this happens. I, I, I wouldn't tend to write write it that way. Okay, is so, that traditional for you? Uh, sorry, Fed. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Call is it. that the uh, process normally for most of your books? I know you've worked with writers before, but on books that you make by yourself, is that kind of the, the norm for you? That is the norm for me. Um, I've tried writing scripts before, but I haven't had... It doesn't come as natural naturally to me. It's easier for me to kind of do... Um, my thumbnails and the writing, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll um, you know, for instance, I'll be drawing out my little thumbnail or my little pencil pages, and I'll know that the person has to say something. So I'll draw the little word balloon, but I don't know exactly what they're say going to say. I, but I know that they're going to be discussing some sort of thing. I'll draw it. And then it's kind of like, as I'm, as I'm going along, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll improvise the dialogue or I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll speak the, the lines to myself and kind of come up with the replies, the, the back and forth. And then also sometimes, uh, and you probably noticed that the book is on a grid, you know, it's, it's always three tiers, yeah. almost always through the whole book. And one of the reasons I do that is that allows me to edit the book much more easily than if it was, um, you know, full splash pages or different layouts for every, 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 uh, every page because here I can, you know, if I find like a panel isn't working or if the pacing of a scene is wrong, I can add or subtract panels, um, move things around. And, um, and then that, that I, I don't have to end up redrawing everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I find out because I I write, um, comic books myself. So like for me to, I'm, I'm really curious about what other creators, um, process is and kind of like it's, it's fascinating to hear kind of like uh, you don't because like, as a writer, I kind of like I start off with the the the, um, the dialogue because I'm kind of very aware that um, the, the the real estate on a comics page is kind of like limited. So I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm constantly thinking, you know, what's the minimum amount of words I can use to kind of um, tell the story? So it's, it's, it's really interesting that you kind of um, you start off with the visuals and then you kind of you fill in the, 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 the dialogue later on. And I think both myself and Cole found like the dialogue was one of the uh, stronger, well, all the, all, all, you know, all uh, parts of the book were, were really good, but we, I, I especially found kind of like the dialogue and the interaction between the characters um, like really believable. So it's interesting that almost came after you done sketched out the, the, the thumbnails. Oh well, that's great to hear from a writer, um, and I'm I'm glad you guys enjoyed that element of the book. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I mean they they kind of go hand in hand. You know, it's not like a lot. You know, if you were to see the way my pencils look, they're really raw. They're really rough. Um, I don't. Um, a lot of the art that you see, you know, I don't do like a traditional penciling and inking the way. Um, 
you know, with the way like say a Marvel comic used to be made where, um, you know, I do these perfect pencil drawings and then I do my perfect inks over the pencil drawings. My pencils, uh, which I call pencils, but even though it's digital, my pencils are very loose, you know, like the, the faces are really raw. It's just mostly just to block out the scenes, kind of block out where the people are. And then I'm, and, and, and then it's kind of like, as I'm developing the, that and the dialogue kind of get developed uh, back and forth in tandem, and then and then I I I, I keep tweaking it all the way to the end. You know, um, uh, the you know I'll change the dialogue even after everything's drawn because I'll I'll feel that uh, you know something should be said differently, and vice versa too. Sometimes I'll have I'll realize I have like a reaction or a, a line from someone that demands a different kind of drawing. And so I'll redo the drawing because, you know, the person's expression doesn't work or the way they're looking doesn't work with it when regards to what they're, what they're saying. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a very improvisational um, creation there, which I think comes through in the dialogue because you kind of want that dialogue to be a bit improvisational and kind of natural and flowing. That really came across in the book. I really, that's very interesting that you work that way. Oh, good. Yeah, I kind of like um, like with the artists that I've worked with, that just I think that that's something you can kind of do as a, a solo creator. If I'd kind of if I'd done that with some of the, the teams that I've been with, I don't, I'm not too sure I'd still be on speaking terms with some of the artists because it's kind of so you want me to go back and redraw everything and then do the, yeah. So yeah, it's um, it's, it's it must be um nice to kind of like have that freedom um to sort of create that way as um as a solo creator. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, as the soul, as the soul creator of Titan, I mean, I, I collaborated with some people who did some of the um, some little technical things for me. But as the soul creator, I really could uh, decide for myself where I wanted to take the the story. You know, I do work with other writers, and it is interesting. It's um, you know, they uh, and they're all different. You know, some of the writers they give a script. Other writers, um, they I have one my my second book that came out in French it's not in English and it won't be for a little while but um it was called 13th Avenue and the author whose name is Genevieve Peterson she wrote uh she wrote it in prose format you know so she wrote like basically a 25 page short story in prose format and then my job was to adapt that into a graphic novel format and so it ended up being like 160 pages of of comics and that was really interesting too because she would th write things, you know, not only was there the internal monologue of the character, but she would write things about like how things smelled and things like that. And that's very hard to, um, <laughs> to get, to get yeah. across in a comic yeah. book, you know? Yeah. So that yeah. was, that was, that was really fun. It was, I, I, I often liken that to being, um, that's like being the director of the movie, right? Yeah. Like the screenwriter has written the script and then you as the artist are, well, you know, because uh, I had a lot of uh, flexibility in how I d adapted that. So, you know, I, that's what I, that's what, that was my job. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of um, very, so the, the first comic I, I did with, with my friend, uh, John, that's pretty similar. I gave him like a film script and he just kind of went off and adapted it. And there's, there's no kind of like for, um, formal, comic book script format so it's kind of everyone's got their own um process anyway so let's talk a little bit about the um about the book i think music is um a theme that kind of runs uh throughout the book kind of the the, the central re uh, relationship between uh yao um, and um 
Phoebe McIntosh, uh, Phoebe McIntosh are, you know, that's kind of built on their, you know, their, their love of kind of like similar, similar songs and each, um, each chapter, uh, uh, is, is, is based on the title of a song. So I just wanted to kind of, um, wanted you to talk, talk a little bit about, um, uh, why you made the decision to have music such a central part of the the story and um, how you went about choosing which songs to include and that sort of thing. Mm, yeah, sure. Um, well, music for my, the Titan is the story. I mean, it's a big story. There's a lot of, it's a big slash small story. It's fairly intimate, but it kind of has a wide scope, but the main heart of it, I think is this relationship between two people who come um, from different worlds. Um, and I mean that both figuratively and literally, like, you know, one is from the earth, one is from Titan, but also one is, you know, poor working class. The other is coming from, uh, you know, a privileged background on the earth. Uh, one's a man, one's a woman, obviously, uh, one is a Titan, one is a Terran. So they're really different from each other. And I have just, I think I thought I was thinking about like ways that these characters could connect. Um, and one way I thought that the characters could connect, because it's a way I've connected with a lot of people throughout throughout my life, is just through music. Music, I feel like, is something that kind of can sometimes cut across cultures. You don't have to speak, uh, the characters in my book speak the same language, but you don't even necessarily need to speak the same language to listen to music. Um, music has definitely been an introduction for me into lots of different cultures. Um, and so that, yeah, that was the reason that music ended up being sort of a, a through line and a metaphor in a way in the book about their, these characters connection. Um, and then, then that allowed me also to kind of seek inspiration through music, through lyrics, through song titles. Um, as you mentioned, all the chapter titles are based on a song. Um, oh, and I guess another thing I should mention is that all the music in, in Titan, Titan is set 200 years in the future, and all the music in it is from the 20th and 21st centuries, which the characters sort of lump everything together, right? They think of all music, everything from the blues through rock and roll, through pop music, through rap, all as being one kind of music, right? In the same way that you or I might think that like Mozart, Brahms, and uh, Beethoven are all one kind of music, even though they span they span a very large amount of time and a yeah. lot of different styles. Yeah. And so, yeah, and, and then the but then yeah, when I keyed on into having music being an element of the book, that allowed me to, um, it gave me a little bit of a structure, right? Because then instead of it just being you know, uh, chapter one. It was chapter one and the title of a song or, you know, chapter two, you know, et cetera. And, and then that also the, so that, that started off, you know, sometimes I would be looking, I would have the chapter again, this is improvisational, but I would have the chapter in mind and I would think, okay, what's a song that I could put in this, this section. And then other times I wouldn't, I would find I was inspired by the music. Like I would think about the music and I'd think, okay, well, there's going to be this scene that is, um, you know, that, that's about uh, the conflict breaking out. And I'd be, okay, well, what songs could I do? And I, you know, I, and for that one, for that chapter, chapter seven, I hit on like Life During Wartime by uh, Talking Heads, which is uh, a band I, I really liked. And and then that kind of the the sometimes the lyrics or the way that the music was done would influence the way I, I structured the the chapter or um, some of the imagery I would use things like that. Um, not to say it's not you know it's not like a this the 
my book and my process is not like hyper analytical. I'm not, I don't have a, a systematic way of approaching everything, but I, I definitely was allowed myself to be inspired by the, by the musical selections that were in there. Wow. It really sounds like you kind of like stumbled into the music theme and then just, it kind of slowly overtook the book, which is very interesting. You're right. It's very improvisational. Again, um, that seems to be a theme with your work. That's very, that's very interesting to me. I was just going to ask, um, Real quick, actually, for head, you could take this the the color question. Yeah, so um, uh, sort of about the so I was when we were doing the research about the book. This was um, we we read that it was originally uh, released as a uh, single issues, and then um, each uh, issue uh, had its own color scheme. Um, and for for the for the English language release, you've kind of uh, chosen to go with uh, one color scheme. I think it's only chapter seven, which goes into kind of like uh, a black and white, but for the rest of the book, it's kind of red, whites and blacks. So I was just wondering why you decided to kind of make that change from the original um, single issues to the, um, to kind of like the, the, the English language um, graphic novel. Ah, sure. Um, well, um, two things. Um, on the most basic level, it's an economic decision, right? Because the individual issues, um, they can be like, you know, pink and blue and orange and everything like each, I can change each issue and it doesn't cost any anymore, right? It's the same cost. Whereas if each chapter in the book was a different color, um, it would be really expensive compared to doing it all in um, black and white and one and the spot color, which is kind of a rosy pink color. Yeah. So there's just an ad, the economics of it. Um, there's a part of me that would have loved to have every chapter be different because I did play with that in the, um, in the serialized issues um, where sometimes I would have the colors affect or, or reflect on the storyline, like what was going on. Um, so that could be a really cool version of the book, but there is something I think to be said for having um, a structural unity of the book where everything is the same, you know, like there, there's there, it's like a big brick of pink and black and white. And um, it's kind of calm and um, it, uh, it doesn't get in the way I hope of the reader, right? You can read it um, and you, you, you probably will notice the pink color or in the French edition, the purple color. But after a while, you'll just kind of register it as that third tone. But it does color the way, the, no pun intended, it does color the way that you, you read the story. Um, and so, yeah, I like, I, I like that element of it. That's, um, yes. Uh, it's, you know, I find that kind of um, like fascinating. I, f- I, was, I was thinking maybe it was kind of like an editorial decision that you, you'd made because um, I realized the... Um, you've been right. You've been creating this story for for a long time, so I thought maybe it was kind of like, um, well, let's go in a slightly different direction. But it does come down to um, comic books being quite expensive to to to, to make. <laughs> Trying to kind of um, make sure like it's um, uh, economical to 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 sell. I, I think I think so, and you know, I mean, like that's one of the the classic things in comic books. Comic books have um, often been limited by the technology of the time, um, and I like that. You know, there's a reason why I don't. The I, I mean, I work in full color sometimes um, when I do illustrations and things like that. But um, I really like this kind of spot color technique, which comes from, you know, a background in printmaking, and it comes from like a real appreciation of like the history of 
printmaking because once upon a time it was very expensive to have stuff in full color we live in a much more full color world than we ever have with screens and everything but um even when i was a kid and before that you know i remember there would be like the section in the newspaper and it would be black and white and red or black and white and some color and that's because it costs a lot less to do that than to do full color um and then you get the aesthetics of that right like there's a there's a certain look that you get with a spot color and I, I really like that. So I don't mind being restrained a little bit by um, by finances. You know, I think it, it, it sometimes it can be the restraint that allows you to find the style that works for you. Yeah, um, I've, Carl, I've got one more question about kind of um, the book. So um, in terms of like the, the politics of the of the book, kind of. I know I was reading back through your previous interview and I know the, the germ of the idea of um, Titan came from when you saw um, like a, a big dog interacting with a, a little dog. And <laughs> um, I was just wondering um, kind of what, what kind of germinated the idea of like the politics that, that went through the story. Or was that kind of, again, something very um, improvisational? Yeah, well, no, I mean, like, like, you, like you said, like the 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 basic idea was just I was like, oh, what if I there were big people? <laughs> it's a really simple idea, but I was like, well, what if there were big people? Like, what would what would affect? How would that affect us? And so um, from there, I kind of you know I was uh, I didn't want to draw a fantasy story with a uh, with fantasy giants or anything like that. So I'm just trying to come up with some kind of way that's somewhat logical that these large, these, these giants would exist. And so then I came up with the idea of, you know, uh, people in space in low gravity. Um, and then that made me, you know, like that, that natural tendency uh, that we maybe have is as a species, I don't know, uh, for like the other, you know, there's a lot of othering that happens in, um, in our societies where, um, like the workers are one group of people, the management is another group of people, you know, like people of one race are one group of people, there's another race, you know, like, the, and they have conflict between them. And so to me, it was very natural that um, these giant people and the the quote unquote normal people, the people from the earth would have some sort of tension, you know, they, they, they would have a, a natural state of tension uh, existing. Um and so, and that's what lent itself to the idea of like, there's being a worker conflict. And, you know, uh, I, I, I come from, I come from a very working class background myself and I, I, I have studied a, a lot about it. And, um, so, you know, that, that definitely, uh, just sprang to mind as a, as a natural lens to, to view the, to view the story through. Um, and then I wanted from there, I wanted it to be, you know, I didn't want it to just be about conflict either. So I wanted it to be about a connection, but to, about people from um, different sides of a, of a conflict who are connected in one way or another um, for, for good and for ill. You know, there, it's not um, uh, it's not exactly like a rosy and all optimistic story there. I think it's it's a, it's it's relatively realistic um, and there's some. Uh, you know, like sad stuff that happens, but it, it also has a, a, a glimmer of uh, hope, I think, too, as well at the same time. So, yeah, that, that's where the that's where that came from. It's super crazy. Um, 
you know, because I, like I, like you said, uh, this book came out in 2017 and I started writing it five years before that. So say in 2012 is when I came up with the idea. I came up with the ideas before that, but I started writing it in 2012. It came out in 2017 and it's wild to me. It's coming out in 2020. And a lot of these issues, you know, there's, there's these moments of, um, you know, there's these moments of uh, public protest and and uh, like extreme police violence and uh, like racial and ethnic tensions in this book, and I, it's uh, it's really wild for it to be coming out in this year, like uh, 2020. I feel like it's going to be a very historical. It feels already very historical, right? It's like not even. It's just halfway done, and it feels out of control. So we'll see. But I can't believe that the book is coming out right now. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something both myself and Cole really enjoyed about the book was you know, at the heart it's kind of this um this tender relationship between the two protagonists but then there are these sweeping themes about you know exploring um capitalism and exploitation and um revolutionary myths and all this sort of thing so yeah Right. Well, we're, we're, uh, we're all caught in it, right? Like we're all, um, we're all caught in the middle of history at all times. And, uh, you know, so us and these characters, they're just kind of floating along and, uh, in this big giant river and maybe they can affect the river, but a lot of the times the river is affecting them. So you, you were talking about earlier, you didn't want to do fantasy giants and stuff like that. So I'm kind of curious because there is these, there is, a few fantastical elements to the story, but uh, on average, I would say it's it's very grounded and quite personal. Um, so I'm wondering why why take the sci-fi angle? What is it that that called to you from the sci-fi genre instead of fantasy or instead of straight um, modern fiction? Oh sure. Well, yeah. Um, some people have mentioned that this book could basically be uh, you know set in um, you know, like a mine today or in, uh, in, in 1892 or something like that. And I, I don't mind that, you know, I don't mind that because to me, that's a sense that overall it's fairly grounded. Um, but the reason I, I like, I love fantasy, you know, I grew up reading, um, you know, like Lord of the Rings and, and, and playing Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. I like, I like that escape that you get in fantasy. Um, but overall, and more as I've gotten older, I, find that I'm more attracted to and find science fiction a little more interesting. Um, and I think the main, one of the main reasons I find myself attracted to it is because there's a link, you know, there's a link with our world. And in this comic, for instance, there's a link in the, the sense that like they listen to music that's from our world. It's, you know, this is not, it's not like star Wars, right. Where it's set in a fantasy universe and they listen to fantasy music and like everything's aliens and things like that. This is, there's, it's, there's a lot of connections with our, with our world. And to me, I think that that is, um, how would I say it? That's, that's a very powerful uh, tool to be able to use, right? Because it, it, it allows there to be these very direct connections with everything. Um, it's not, sometimes it's, the things aren't metaphorical, right? There's a metaphorical element to the book where these giants are standing in for like oppressed peoples or workers around the world. At the same time, there's also like a sense of continuity of history, right? Like, because everything that's happening in our world right now happened in the past of the world of Titan. So there, there's like the knock-on effects and things are, are kind of traveling down. So that's one of the reasons I find myself really attracted to science fiction uh, for this story and for lots of other stories is, is just that sense of uh, the connection to our real world. 
Very cool. So speaking about your, your personal tastes here, I do have a question just not really related to Titan, but I'm wondering, um, what are some of your favorite comics? Like what got you as a kid, maybe, or whenever you started reading, what kind of like pushed you to want to do comics? What's your like, what's that thing that you love about comics? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, you know, I, like, like a lot of people, I, I started reading comics when I was a kid, you know, I, I would read the, the Spider-Man newspaper strips, um, at the public library or all, you know, all, Garfield I was a big Garfield fan that that kind of thing and then in um you know I uh I grew up in the I was a I grew up in the I was a a teen during the 1990s so um I was definitely very much influenced by the huge boom that was happening in the 1980s and 1990s in comics and that's both on the both on the mainstream side and on the indie side. So on the mainstream side, like that was the time where um, the big superstars like uh, Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane and everything were, were making huge inroads into the pop culture consciousness, both first with their work at Marvel and then later at when they founded Image. And that was like a big deal, right? Like that, like that suddenly made it so that like more people were reading comics. So I definitely was influenced by all that, you know, when I was a, when I was really young, uh, I really loved Jim Lee. Like I, like I thought he was just like, the, the best. Um, it's kind of interesting. I think he is really good, but it, I, I don't like to look at Jim Lee's work anymore. And it's not interesting to me anymore. But when I think back to when I was like 12, 13 years old, like he, that I was just obsessed with the way he drew. Um, but then at the same time, like there was this huge turnover in the eighties and nineties where, you know, I think it, it kind of broke with a, like, say something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but there was just a ton of indie and kind of more mature work, um, uh, across the spectrum so you know somebody you know uh somebody like jeff smith who was doing bone was a big yeah, influence yeah. On, on the way i thought about comics and, and and opened me up to a lot of like thinking about how to draw and um and and, and pace action on the page um paul pope who did thb was a comic i was really into when i was younger and then all that kind of led me into the vertigo comics and then the, the more indie uh, alternative scene so that you know, people like Dan Klaus, Charles Burns, Jaime Hernandez, um, uh, they, Julie Doucet, you know, they're all these people who, uh, who are more on the, the kind of literary tip of things. And so I, I think that comes across a little bit in my, um, in my work and the way I kind of think about things, because I, I both, I really like that. I like literature. I like literary stories. Um, I like something a little bit more mature, but I also, you know, I have this grounding where I really like, you know, I grew up reading superhero comics. And um, and so I like action and I like fight scenes and I like spaceships and things like that. And I think you see that a little bit in Titan, the me- the melding of those two worlds. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's one of those things kind of, you know, as, as you mature sort of, again, as someone who grew up in kind of like the, um, in, in the 19 kind of uh, 90s kind of, like, you know, one you know, one of my favorite movie stars was like Jean Claude Van Damme. Now those are like uh, deeply silly um, action films, and you do kind of mature out of that a little bit. But you know, at the same time, you know, I still love a good kind of like um, action film, but I need a little bit more from it. I think, you know, as, you know, like you said, as you as you grow up, kind of what brings you into comic books kind of matures. Um, as, as your taste mature. So yeah, definitely I can, you know, everything you kind of mentioned about kind of needing a story with um, themes, 
but having also you can have that story but also have it with like spaceships and fights and uh that sort of thing as well so yes it's it's it's, it's quite interesting that um that you know that reflected in the way you created the book well like you know on the film on the film side of things um uh, you mentioned Jean-Claude Van Damme, which I definitely have watched my full share of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Um, I uh, um, And, you know, Universal Universal Soldier, pretty deep, pretty deep ideas there. But, uh, but you know, that made me think of, um, uh, I think it's called Haywire, which is a movie by uh, Steven Soderbergh, who's one of my favorite directors. Yes, and, uh, but, yeah. right, right. Like, and it's like, you know, it's like the same stuff, right? It's just like, it's like, this badass action stuff, but then it's all filtered through a more sophisticated sensibility. Um, and there's some like kind of like, you know, even though it's really like a popcorn flick, there's a lot of like, there's some, some deeper things there. You can kind of like, you, 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 it, it kind of percolates a little more. That's one of the reasons why I like him as a director. And I, I, I kind of come back to him a lot is because he's often tackling these kind of, um, you know, rather, uh, you know, genre-esque uh, themes in his films. And yet he does it with this sensibility that I really like um, and that, that, that really speaks to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, just a, another quick question about um, sort of comic book. What, what comics are you um, kind of reading at the moment in terms of like creators or genres and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's, uh, let's see. Well, as far as some creators that I really like, um, you know, on the American scene, uh, somebody that I really like is a mainstream cartoonist, um, Chris Samney. Um, My God. And yeah, to me, he's just a, he's just a, he just, he's just great. You know, he is the, the ne plus ultra of like how I could imagine a really well drawn, well paced comic. And um, I find myself going back to his work and looking at it over and over and over. And to me, he's the, the, I, I would say he's like one of the very, very best people illustrating comics and he's writing now too. And I find his writing interesting as well um, because again, you know, he's doing genre work, but he, he has a little bit, there's a little bit of something, a little depth there, but just really purely on the visuals uh, to me, he's the number one um, on the American scene. And I read a lot of, um, you know, I live in Montreal in Canada now and uh and so I'm, I'm a little bit more in the um, kind of French, Canadian, Franco-Belgian kind of mode uh, where I end up reading a lot of those kind of comics too. Um, uh, some people who I really like there are um, Carascoet, which is a, a couple actually. They're, a, they're a, a, a wife and a husband who they draw together under one pen name. And they did a book called Beauty and another book called Beautiful Darkness and a book called Miss Don't Touch Me. And those were all really great. And um, they have a sort of cartoony style, but they can really do almost almost anything, especially I think they, they, uh, they have complementary art styles that they bring to the page. They uh, they're really inspiring to me, and the, the, they've they've they're not writers. They 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 draw. They're they're visual storytellers. They're, they're artists, but they they've tended to work with some really really good. Um, authors who uh, have created these fantastic and very nuanced and complicated stories with them. Oftentimes the stories have a little bit of a, almost a childlike look to them or a fairy tale look, but they're mm -hmm. super dark, twisted, but 
but that not in a, a boring way, like a, like a really, a really deep and emotional way. I love their stuff. And um, another person who I have been reading more of lately, and I want to read more of is, um, I believe he's Swiss. Uh, his name is Frederick Peters. Oh my God. <laughs> I just read almost all of his work. He is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, the, the things I've read from him are Ama and uh, Lupus. And I really like both of those. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to reading more of his stuff. Uh, I would recommend real quick, uh, the smell of starving boys by him. Okay. Uh, it's, he works with a writer. I believe it's a, it might be an Asian American writer. I can't remember, but it is. Yeah. Next to Ama. That's my favorite work by him. It, cool. It's incredible. Yeah. That's oh, awesome. I tend to, so that I, I live in the UK and we did a UK comics creator survey and kind of like the results from that kind of like the, the financial reality of trying to run a small press comics company it, it was kind of not surprising but it was still depressing to, to kind of like read it <laughs> like you know the amount of money that um especially here in the uk that um just if, if you're trying to make money from comics is is it's quite um it's quite uh challenging so i just you, know, you spoke a little bit about the the belgium thing i'm just cognizant of time as well um you know what's the uh the comic scene like in um in 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 canada and how is it different from from the the sort of like you know scene in the usa in terms of the stories being told and the size of the scene and stuff like uh, that sure sure well the first thing i'll just mention is something that you mentioned which is uh, on the financial side of things um i will say that it it, it is kind of um Definitely easier in some ways um, because there's a lot. Uh, there is a lot more support for the arts. Um, it's easier to get grants for things. It's easier to um, to get support. And then also specifically here in Quebec, um, where I live, um, there's a specific uh, sort of pride and energy that goes into uh, French language. Uh, products here uh, and books and movies and things like that and because I think that the culture you know they're surrounded by um, anglophone English speakers on all sides in the United States and Canada so they've they've tried really hard to um, to support and um, facilitate the French language creative sector and it's, that comes across in in comics as well you know um, I was, I, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of prizes and things like specifically for French language comics from Quebec. Like for instance, Titan was nominated for six awards, and I'll be, I hope it does, but I'll be really surprised if it gets nominated for six awards uh, in the in the U.S. market. You know what I mean? Um, I, I don't even know if there are six awards in the U.S. market um, for comic <laughs> books. And uh, so I, I think that there's a lot of energy um, and financial energy that goes into it. There, there are really great organizations like the Canada Council that are um, supporting artists, giving people grants all across the spectrum, not just in comics, but in visual art, filmmaking, uh, writing, everything like that. And then secondly, in the culture, hmm, um, the kind of work that's being made. Well, one thing I've noticed here is that... Um, I, number one, I was really lucky to fall into a really great group of, of creators here in Montreal. Um, and I feel really, 
uh, just really, really lucky that, that, that I met the people I did, um, and they've been really supportive of me. But one thing I definitely noticed is that um, when I speak to a lot of the creators that I know here, they're, 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 they're often younger than me, but they've written like two, three, four, six books, you know? And I, I think about a lot of people who are in my generation in the United States, like indie cartoonists, and a lot of them have done one book. Or maybe they've been, they don't even have their first book out. They've done some short stories, but they've been working on one book for 10 years, right? And they're not done oh. with that, that book. And they really want it to be perfect. And so they keep coming back to it and it just takes forever. And, and to me, it, like one of the things I think that is really great here in uh, Quebec is the people, the, 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 a lot of the cartoons, they work on their thing, they finish it, they, they, do, they put it out or it gets put out for them from a small publishing house or a big publishing house. And then they just move on to the next thing and they keep getting better every time. And they're not worried about the thing being perfect or exactly the way that they have in their, the, you know, this vision that they have in their mind as a creative. And that to me is one of the best lessons that I think I've learned here from the culture. And I really hope that I can bring that to my own, um, my own creations. In fact, I know I did because, uh, you know, I, it took me five years to work on Titan, but um, in the, I drew the last half of it. So it's 200 pages. I drew the last hundred pages in one year. And I think I drew probably the last three quarters in a, in a, in, in, in two years or something like that. So basically the first three years of working on Titan was the first quarter of the book, like say 50 pages in three years. It's, it's ridiculous, you know? And then I, by the end, I was cranking out a hundred pages in one year. And, it, and then the next book I did, uh, I didn't write it, so it was easier, but I did 160 pages in, in, I don't know, less than a year, you know, like something like 10 months or something. And so, and you know, there, I do have, like, I look at the art and I look at the, or my writing and things like that. And I want to fix it. I, I, I'm like, oh, it's not perfect. It's not as good as I could make it, but I'm starting to just learn to let it go. Right. Um, I don't know who said it, but the, there's a famous saying that um, uh, paintings are never finished. They're just abandoned. And I think that that is like, it's, it's a good sense. You know, you, you have to just stop working on something sometimes. Um, kind of like, a lot of what you've uh, just said kind of like speaks directly into my heart because like <laughs> somebody writes it's just kind of like this kind of like internal sort of like self-flagellation where you just kind of like oh well, that sentence could be a little bit better but yeah exactly just crank it out um and just you know get on the page and uh, to produce <laughs> produce I think so yeah it's kind of like a lot of what you said um <laughs> struck a chord with me there Oh, good, good. Well, I hope I hope it, it's helpful. You can you can get back to me if it it's uh, if it's bad advice down the line. <laughs> uh, Cole, I think you've got the got the next question. Yeah, um, I'm just wondering since it has been so long since you started Titan, um, how has the work evolved and has it taken a life of its own? Is it is it still on your mind, or I guess you are saying you kind of have moved on since finishing it? Well, I think so. Um, I at every stage in the um, at every stage, I was re-editing and redoing some things, and so, so, you know, like I hope I, I don't think that that's too hypocritical when I say at the, the at the top, I say that people just need to do the work and get it out there and not worry so much about it because I did do a lot of edits and I and I fixed a lot of things all throughout the process, even including in this new version that's coming out with Oni. Um, I I there were things that I didn't 
that that I, I I thought I could improve, and so I fixed it. I did some rewrites. I did I did a little bit of redrawing. I drew a couple new pages to add some things to it. But um, uh, so it's always on my mind, like how I can and make the book better. But now I think the book's done. You know, like it's going to come out. It's coming out like in book format in English. I don't. I would be very surprised if I do any more edits to it. Um, and I am trying to move on to you know, other comics, other ideas. I have a new, you know, I have a new graphic novel of my own that I'm working on where I'm writing it and drawing it. Um, another science fiction graphic novel. Um, and that's at the very early stages, but I, I'm, I'm really excited about that. So I, I, I kind of put a lot of my, my thought process into that at this point, you know, I did this too, when I was working on Titan, um, you know, when I, sometimes when I go to bed, um, a lot of times I'll read when I go to sleep, but sometimes when I go to bed and I, I don't feel like reading or something, I'll just, I'll just sit there and I'll just try and think about the comic that I'm doing, you know, or the story that I'm doing. And so I would, um, you know, like I'll repeat the title to myself, like as I'm falling asleep and then I'll have, uh, ideas, you know, like I'll, 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 or I'll do it on a long road trip or something like that. So <laughs> now I've moved on. I'm trying to, I'm no longer like repeating the title Titan to myself as I go to sleep. Uh, I, I repeat, uh, uh, new, new titles and, and, and new ideas to try and kind of stimulate my ideas. So try and move beyond that. Um, so you've kind of already answered, um, that, you know, the question already, um, it sounds like you're working on a new, science fiction uh novel so um you know kind of t in terms of you know what have you been working on lately oh yeah yeah um well in addition to that you know that's still at the early stages um and in addition to that i am work i have a kind of a day job in comics where i'm drawing a like a monthly comic book um which is a sort of sci-fi comedy thing and i can't talk about it too much because it hasn't officially been announced but it's going to come out in 2021 and it's kind of really exciting because it's a uh, it's a monthly comic, you know. It's like a comic book that's going to be in comic book stores. It's not a it's a, it'll end up being collected, but it's not like a graphic novel. And I feel like it's getting me back to my old roots of reading, you know, say like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Usagi Ojimbo or something like that. Um, there's a lot of action and comedy and stuff in it. So yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, I unfortunately I can't talk about it too much more than those vague details, but it. Uh, that's my day job. I work on it uh, every day and I have to draw a lot. I draw six pages a week to do that comic. And so, wow. yeah, it's, 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 uh, it, you know, so I, I, I'll be honest, sometimes I fall behind, but that's my pace that I'm supposed to be doing. And um, yeah, it's fun. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wild project. And I think it's going to reach a, a different kind of audience than uh, my previous books have. And then on the French side, I'm going to be doing the sequel to the, the collaborative book I did, Thirteenth um, Avenue, which is like a YA uh, kids mystery sort of story, um, that was written by Genevieve Peterson and came out from La Pastèque. And so I'll be doing at least one or two more volumes of that. I'm just waiting on the, um, the 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 story. Like when I get the story from that, that's when I'll start that. So those will be, uh, you know, not super soon, but in the in the next couple of years, I'm sure that those are the, that that the that sequel is going to be coming out too. That sounds really, really exciting. Yeah, I'm really happy you got more work coming out, honestly. Uh, I was worried that since this is finally coming out, you might be taking a break and sitting back. I'm <laughs> so happy that there's more uh, 
more stuff coming from you. Well, I was really lucky, you know, um, as soon as Titan was finished, I had, uh, I had an offer to do 13th Avenue, um, as the illustrator and I didn't have to write it and create the story from scratch. So it was great. I could just jump right into it, you know, because for me, the writing is the hardest part, um, and creating the kind of like the concepts for the story and things like that. And then, um, that gave me a little bit of space to work on my own writing and work on these different stories, uh, the only thing is now I, I need more space because I'm, I'm really lucky. I have a lot of, sort of drawing gigs, but I, I, I need more mental space to write. But uh, I'll figure some way to get that in the in the coming year. That's awesome. Awesome. Sounds fantastic. I think that's kind of all the stock questions that we'd um, written, Carl. Is there anything that um, you want to ask uh, Francois? Um, really not much, uh, I can think of, I mean, it's kind of a broad question, but for a closer, um, what do you think after this? I mean, I'm sure no one knows, but after all this craziness, uh, what do you see as like the future of comics? Like, are we moving towards a digital, um, only type thing? Do you think, or maybe going away from the single issue as a reader or as a creator? What are, what are kind of your opinions on that? Sure. I mean, it really depends on the the genre of the story and the kind of book that you're, you're, you're going to be reading. Um, you know, uh, I'm working on a monthly comic. And so I think that there definitely is like a huge audience for a huge potential audience for monthly comics. And I read monthly comics my whole life. Um, I will say that for me personally, in the last 10 years or more, I have bought less and less uh, monthly comics. And I definitely gravitate more towards like full books or full collections. And I think that that is probably an industry-wide trend um, that's just going to be, uh, that's just going to continue. You know, I think that there's always going to be a certain market for, uh, the floppies as they call them, um, the individual issues. But I think in all, in some ways that the, that that audience is, um, I've worked in a comic book store before, and I think that there, there's, there's nothing bad about that audience, but that is an audience that's already been turned on to comics at some point in their life. Um, they, you know, they read comics when they were kids or one of their parents turned them onto it or a friend or something like that. And that, uh, that's a small part of the audience, the much bigger audience. And I think that's really obvious in, um, kind of the big publishing houses and things like that, the much bigger potential audience is in the book trade, um, be it digitally or I think just in books. You know, books can be printed and mailed to people all around the world. Um, you, uh, I love bookstores and I really hope that they um, can tough it out. Um, and there are some really cool options. Like there's a new one called bookshop.org that allows you to order books online and um, the proceeds go to the independent bookstore of your choice that has an account. That's really great. I love stuff like that. Um, but I will say, I will say that, like you know, books are—you um, can enjoy them from the comfort of your home. Uh, you can, do, while your city is in confinement, or you know, if there's a if if you're doing social distancing and things like that, you can still read books. There's nothing like this thing that we're all missing out on, right? Of comic conventions and going to the bookstore and meeting people or just meeting up with your friends and talking about things that you like. But I do think that the medium and the art form is always going to, um, it's well positioned to always exist. Yeah. It's um, really interesting what you kind of mentioned about kind of um, bookstops, uh, bookshops. I was um, on the comic survey kind of um, uh, chat. They, 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 they did a Zoom call to kind of like discuss what should be done to kind of help develop the scene here in, in the UK. And one of the things that they mentioned was that, you know, maybe try and talk to comic book, uh, talk to bookshops, sorry, talk to bookshops about not having a graphic novel section, except 
just putting graphic novels in with like the rest of the books mm-hmm. and people actually pick them up and read them because kind of you know if you've got a autobiographical book there's so many great autobiographical graphic novels why not just put them stick them in the autobi- autobiographical section so it's kind of like you know trying to think about you know audience development and and things like that kind of moving away from the quote-unquote traditional comic book reading Uh, and um, you know we're gonna have to just do all sorts of different experiments um in all the different the different markets and things like that you know uh people can't stop um people can't stop doing things and 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 as much as i'm kind of an old-fashioned person i love the old ways of existing of uh, of books and the book trade and and the way i grew up reading and things like that but um there's no question that the um that the comic book industry, that the book industry is, it, it has to keep evolving because um, the world is changing. But at the same time, I think people love books. I think people love reading. Uh, and I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so I think just a, a couple of more, well, just a couple of things. Is there um, anything that um, we haven't asked you that uh, we should have? This, oh, uh, uh... No, not necessarily. Um, I did not, actually. I was just because uh, uh, the, because I know that you guys have uh, you read the book, and I remember you you kind you kind of like gave you gave a lot of. I listened to your episode about the book. Thank you. Um, and I remember you gave, kind of gave a lot of details about the the plot. Do you? Um, I don't. I don't know if I've listened to an interview on your podcast yet. But do you guys do like a like a spoiler section or anything like that? If you want to, we can. If you have any like kind of spoilery questions, we can kind of cordon those off into their own little, little little section at the end if you want to oh um this is the first interview that we've done oh, so okay kind of, <laughs> we're still figuring out how to do it and um i think i don't know why we didn't uh, decide to kind of i think we we did quite an in-depth um review where we we discussed what happened in in the book i don't know if i don't know why we didn't decide to do that Cole. Um, yeah we we do a spoiler warning uh usually for our reviews because we're kind of you we go don't, for it, we, yeah yeah we don't plan to spoil things but we kind of often end up spoiling things but uh yeah we were kind of being careful this time because the book isn't uh i guess out yet uh even though we've read it so we were kind of be tiptoeing a bit perfect but, that's fine um i i'm I don't know if I have any spoiler questions for you, considering I've had so long to think about the book. Um, I think I kind of got all I wanted out of it, honestly. That's perfect. No, no stress. I just wanted to make sure. No, Actually, yeah, no. I have one final question. What was the most challenging part of the book in terms of writing for you? The most challenging part of the book in terms of writing. Um... If you can think of it, if yeah, not. yeah, yeah, no, no, that's no, that's a that's a really good question. I think it was kind of connecting the dots um, because I would I would have ideas um, about kind of plots and subplots, and because as I as we talked about, it was sort of improvisational. Sometimes I would have ideas, and then um, I would I would have to think, okay, well, I mentioned this thing in this earlier chapter. Is there any way? that I can bring that around so that it thematically makes sense with the rest of the book. And so sometimes that was a lot of the creative thinking in it, right? Is that I, I, I had already created something and then I, I needed to make it pay off, but I didn't know how I didn't have a plan when I, when I started the concept and then, so making that stuff pay off, that was probably the biggest challenge. Um, and, and, uh, and I, I think I was moderately successful um, in kind of like tying 
tying up the loose ends and kind of tying up everything in a little bow at the end of the book. But um, uh, I think that that's the biggest challenge. And one of the biggest challenges, I think, of having a more improvisational um, kind of approach to it. Very good answer. That's I, I read something recently, one of the writers I really like, uh, Jonathan Hickman, American comic writer. Mm-hmm. He he talks about that very similar thing. He says you have to create the illusion that uh, A and B, you've known the answer to A with B the whole time, but you've just revealed it to the reader. But honestly, he never knows. And it's just about creating that, like, I knew the whole time type of feelings that brings out that big revelation in the plot. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at there. Like, you've laid the groundwork and now you just have to figure out how to connect it while the reader thinks you knew all along. I thought that was a very interesting technique. Right. And I'm sure, you know, I mean, for him, he's juggling these gigantic things with the Marvel universe and, you know, all these different characters and things like that. And I'm sure that that, that is an element in, in, in a lot of those, the people who are doing these big, uh, you know, kind of like superhero comics or something, there is that chance that you can kind of surprise yourself um, or, you can um, you can pick up on something that you didn't realize you had done at a, at an early point. Like for instance, I'll, I'll do a little little tiny spoiler. Uh, so for those viewers who are or listeners who are very concerned, this is a micro a micro spoiler. Mm-hmm. But um, the the main character in the book, he has a computer in his head, um, and it's called a, it's it's his I lowercase I, um, you know, which is a pretty uh, clear reference to something like a, an iPhone or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. and so I always knew he had a computer in his head and I always knew that the computer was going to, to not work at some point, right? Like that it was going to stop working. And I had all these ideas about like, you know, computer virus or something like that. But then I was like, oh, it can be in his eye. Like the eye can be in his eye. And like, when you pull out, they, they, they take the computer, they, he, he has his, his computer surgically removed from his head and it's his eye that's gone. And so it's a pun, you know, it's like a little joke. But I didn't know that when I wrote the concept or like, like the first like four chapters of the book, I'm like talking about his I, lowercase I in his head, but it, that I never had the concept that it was going to be this little joke um, that was going to have like this big visual payoff, right? Because um, by doing that, then I, I'm allowed to do some kind of gross uh, horror visual elements that, to deal with this, this eyeball trauma that, that happens a little bit late in the book. That's the spoiler for, for those of you who are worried about it. I'm not going to spoil <laughs> anything else, yeah. but, um, but yeah, so I didn't know, like I had no idea. And then, so, and, but I do think, I think that most readers who read that, like if they notice it at all, they'll be like, Oh, I, I see like it's foreshadowed that it, the eye is foreshadowed by the, the fact that it's called his eye, but I, it's, it's not, I just made it up. <laughs> that was good payoff and that i i love that you call it a joke because when i first read that i was like oh i get the pun oh god what are they doing to his eyeball and it was like for a second it was funny and then it was horrifying that was a good that was a very quality scene i like that yeah yeah um good. uh francois is there anything else that you want to plug or talk about no you know um not not at the moment like my bit you know my uh my big thing, my big focus is, uh, is on Titan. It's coming out, uh, November 10th. And so that, that takes up a lot of my brain space when I'm not working on my, these books that are going to come out in 2021, 2022, etc. So no, nothing else to plug. Thank you guys so much for your interest. It was, um, I stumbled across your podcast, which I think is, uh, is kind of new. And uh, I, was, I was, you guys had a lot of really nice things to say about my book. So I really appreciate it. Well, well thank oh, you. It was our pleasure. Yeah, yes, it, it is our pleasure. Thank you so much for, um, taking the time to to to, uh, to speak to us and 
Um, yeah, I think I've, I've personally really enjoyed um, some of the, the answers you've given about the creative process and kind of uh, what went into sort of getting uh, a comic book from, from, from your head uh, finally out onto the, um, onto the printed page. Cool, well, thank you guys. Thanks for your time, man. It was a really fun conversation. 